you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 25. As Don mentions every Sunday, we are becoming <clears throat> disciples. And this text has two elements to it that relate really directly to that. The one is a definite call to a certain kind of listening that is necessary if we are to really be disciples. But then the second element is a a pretty stern and ominous warning about how dangerous it is not to be particularly concerned about your listening. And what happens when professing disciples are not particularly concerned about listening. And, and of course, it's something that happens all the time. As, As ominous as it is, it's also extraordinarily common. And so, in this brief little parable, Jesus gives us a a clarion call to listening, but then an ominous warning about what it means to fail to heed that call. Let's stand together. Mark 4, 21 to 25. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? And not on a lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are the one who redeems us. You sent your Son into the world, which is what we celebrate in Advent season, but you sent him into the world to redeem us out from under sin and slavery to sin and death in a way very similar and parallel 
to how you brought out Israel from Egypt. You brought out the house of Jacob from a very foreign place where a very different language was spoken and brought your people to be those who worship you and who live under your reign and dominion. And in the very elements of the natural order, you tell us, you illustrate your sovereignty, as in that process the waters of the Jordan River turned back, and it was as if hills and mountains were dancing about, And we experienced some of that this morning on our drive to church as we saw the beauty of the snow laying in the branches of the trees. And everything around us was demonstrating your glory. The heavens declare the glory of God day to day pours forth speech. Father, we ask that in this Advent season that we would see your glory, not only in the trees, but in the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that your name would be glorified tonight as our children come together to bear witness to the glory that you placed in the birth of Christ through the message of the angels through Mary and Joseph. And as we remember this season and what you have done for us, may you awaken us to our own opportunities to hear your voice. But Lord, we are reminded regularly that at this time of the year, uh, all is not necessarily well for everybody. And Father, we uh, think particularly this morning of uh, the Blyenberg family uh, for Verland, whose father passed away uh, just yesterday. And as they uh, will be uh, traveling back to Michigan uh, in relation to that, that you would watch over them both uh, inwardly and outwardly as it is a a difficult time of the year to experience that kind of loss, and that is one of many represented in the families of this church who have experienced and are experiencing uh, crushing losses right in the midst of a time of celebration and feel the irony uh, and and the pull of joy and sorrow as they mix together. But Lord, teach us to hear your voice and manage all of our joys and sorrows to your honor and to your glory. And I pray that you would use our text for this morning to that end. and Use the communion table to enable us to examine ourselves as to whether we really are among those who have ears to hear. And whether we are really among those 
who has taken measure of the way we hear to be sure that we are listening with sufficient intensity and seriousness to your voice. We ask for this to be given in Jesus' name. Amen. You be seated. I don't think I've um, mentioned the background of a Christmas carol yet this Advent season. I usually do that numerous times, so I'll, I'll catch back up with one that I've used before, uh, uh, however. It's been in uh, uh, quite a bit of comparisons because of what's been going on with Vladimir Putin and so forth to this last fall, right, to the greatest nuclear threat since the Cuban Missile Crisis greatest nuclear threat since the Cuban Missile Crisis through the fall. We've heard that refrain. Well, when the Cuban Missile Crisis was on, October of 1962, I was in kindergarten. In Hallstrom School, we, we did drills for this. There was a, down in the basement of that school, a big old stone building, there was a tunnel near the back of it with no windows, just a a door in the middle and two doors on the end, and it was simply a cement tunnel with uh, plumbing running across the ceiling. And, And this is where they would usher us in, and we went and you would crouch against the wall in that tunnel and uh, put your hands over your head and this was all designed to help you uh, survive a nuclear blast. Um, If you did it just right, uh, the idea was you you might survive this nuclear blast. Well, history now tells us, of course, that things were quite a bit more ominous than, than the average American realized at the time, that it really was a crisis underway, and some felt it. Uh, among them, two uh, songwriters, not believers, I don't think, uh, Noel Regney and Gloria Shane, who were asked to write a Christmas song. And in that relatively hopeless time, uh, they came up with a Christmas carol, he writing the lyrics and she writing the music uh, for Do You Hear What I Hear. The second verse going this way, said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, Do you hear what I hear. Ringing through the sky, shepherd boy, do you hear what I hear? The lyrics are roughly based on Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus, a little bit of Luke sprinkled in. But I thought of the lyric because that's really Mark's question, Jesus' question through Mark here in this parable. Do you hear 
what disciples hear. Do you hear what those with ears to hear, what they hear? Do you hear that? Do you hear what I hear? State again our text. He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Now, and then here's the center of the whole thing. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, and then he actually uses a mixed metaphor here that the translators rightly uh, cause to disappear. Uh, but literally what he says is, see how you hear. See how you hear. Watch how you hear. Now, what he means by see is see to it, be careful, be careful how you hear, or as the ESV has it, pay attention. But as I say, it's actually a mixed metaphor. See, watch out how you hear. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And then still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Thesis this morning, I put this way. Who and what we hear or see and hear in Jesus is of the greatest possible importance. Three questions were posed to this text. Number one, to what end has Jesus been revealed? Verses 21 and 22. He said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a lampstand? I'm not exactly sure why the ESV would do what it does here, because what it did was take two separate questions in, in the text and, and meld them into one. And that wouldn't necessarily be so bad, but, the, but the, the two separate questions were designed in such a way and written in such a way in the Greek language that the first question has to have a certain answer by the way it was written, and the second one does too, and they're opposite. And so the idea is to place those two opposites side by side, uh, something like this. And he said to them, a lamp did not, does not come to be put under a basket or under a bed, does it? Answer, of course, no. No. That's question one. 
Question two. Is it not in order that upon a lampstand it may be put that a light comes? The answer is yes. Yes, of course. No, not under the bed, not under a basket. But yes, on the lampstand. Now the question is, why would Jesus say this? Why why would he bring this up uh, in this way? Uh, Well, context is king, all right? So what is Jesus and Mark getting at here? Well, it was read, Russ read the uh, background to it again this morning from Matthew's gospel, right? Um, In context, in the parable of the sower, the issue was raised back in Mark 4, 11 and 12. He said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, then a purpose clause. In order that, so that, they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And you might get the impression from that, that for some people, Jesus is a light as if it's put under the bed. And Jesus is a light as if it's placed under a bushel. Because he's the kind of light that's given and speaking in parables in the way he does, in such a way so that some won't repent. Some won't respond. So he's asking, is there a sense in which the light comes into the world to be put under the bed, to be put under the bushel. And his answer is, no, 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 a thousand times no. That doesn't imply that at all. Everybody's responsible for the light of Jesus shining as it does. And he goes on, verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. That is, Jesus enlightens everything in some sense. The light shines everywhere. Everyone responsible for it. Everyone can see it. Now that certainly doesn't seem to be the case right now, right? All kinds of people nor the will and way of Jesus and don't seem to notice him at all. All kinds of things are presently left hidden, obscured. All kinds of liars are presently getting away with their lies. All kinds of scam artists are presently getting away with other people's money. All kinds of stuff is taking place. And everybody seems to be getting away with almost everything. And the average American plays 
virtually no attention to Jesus at all. I think of the the holiday film, one of the more successful over the last generation, 30 years ago now, Home Alone. Home Alone. Now, Home Alone sort of stands out in this. Home Alone does have a scene that lasts about 15 seconds that focuses on a manger scene. Most Hollywood movies don't have that much when they're Christmas movies even. They don't have that much. But Home Alone, 15 seconds. Manger scene, tender moment. And then on with the rest of the show. That's our, that's our whole culture. Jesus, basically hidden in plain sight. So what in the world does he mean when he says, and he makes that bold claim in verse 22, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Well, he's making a, a, we, we talk about this regularly, right? A statement like that has an element that's true immediately and an element that is not yet true. Refer to it all the time. Psalms are written this way. Already and not yet. Already and not yet. Already and not yet. All through the Psalms. The wicked will be judged. They're not being judged. They're not being judged. The wicked will be judged. And Stalin goes on for decades through the middle of this century. The wicked aren't being judged. What are you talking about? And his answer is, oh, they'll be judged. They'll be judged. Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nothing is secret except to come to light. And I mean nothing. Remember how Paul put it at the end of, in the middle actually, end of a paragraph, in the middle of 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Similar metaphorical language here. And we must all appear. You could translate that. For we must all be brought to light. We must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due in the body, whether good or evil. That must necessarily happen. Everything he's warning us, everything is going to be brought to light. Everything is to be shown. Everything is to be revealed for what it really is. No cover-ups in the end. Nobody gets away with anything in the end. The light has come into the world and everything and everyone will answer to that light, to that light. At the end of the age, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 
There is nothing hidden except in order that it may be made manifest. Nothing hidden, but in order that it may come into light or into manifestation. Secondly, do you have ears to hear? He embeds that again in this middle of this little paragraph. You have ears to hear. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. See what you hear. Watch out for what you hear, for the message that's controlling in your life. But to ask, do you have ears to hear, is really the same thing as to ask, are you born again? Have you been born from above? Have you experienced the new birth? Do you have ears to hear? If anyone has ears to hear, uh, they are to use them. It's very much a a predestinarian sort of statement, right? You really pick up something like that. In John's Gospel, John chapter 6, verse 65, for instance, he said to them, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him by the Father. You could say it this way. I said to you, no one has ears to hear unless... It has been granted him by the Father. That's the idea. That's the idea. It's this mysterious, predestinarian, uh, eyes-to-see sort of language. Then he turns around, and as I say with that mixed metaphor, watch what you hear. Watch what you hear. Over in Luke's parallel, Luke 8, 18, uh, he changes it just a tiny little bit. Watch how you hear. Watch how you hear. They sort of blend into each other, the two ideas. Watch what you hear. Watch how you hear. You ever notice that we have all kinds of people in our culture, and of course we only know about the most prominent because they're they're in the news. So you have you have a politician who will say, "Yes, I am quite a devout Christian. I'm a devout Christian." who disagrees with the New Testament on pretty much every moral position that you can disagree with it on. But I am a devout Christian. That's what I am. I'm a devout Christian. Um, I'm a devout Christian who believes in the slaughter of the unborn. I'm a devout Christian that believes it's was a really, really bad and sinful and foolish and actually kind of a hateful thing when Moses wrote, 
He made them male and female. I'm that kind of devout Christian. We said, well, how can you be like that? By not watching what you hear. By not paying attention to how you hear. Most people in America, in church this morning, agree with that notion of things. Most. To a large degree. Because we pay so little attention to what Jesus says here. Watch what you hear And watch how you hear it. Because if you don't watch what you hear, then of course, to use the categories from the book of Revelation, the beast kingdom will determine what you hear. Babylon, the great city, will determine what you hear. And you'll just flow downstream with it. Of course, everybody thinks this now. This is what all the moral people think now. This is what virtue looks like now. Pay attention to what you hear. Watch how you hear. Remember how he put it just a few verses ago. If you're not careful with how you hear, what happens to you? Well, what happens to you is what he described in the parable of the sower. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. I got that one underlined. The desires for other things will choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The desire for other things Just think of what a big category this is. What if one of the desires for other things is the desire to fit into what is presently considered virtuous in American culture? What if you have that desire, which to some degree we all do? None of us want to be thought of as backward or hateful or stupid, cruel. None of us. The desire for other things. What if you desire that? You really desire that? Well, Jesus says, you're dead and gone. Spiritually speaking, you're dead and gone. Watch how you hear. Watch what you hear. Listening carelessly and fruitlessly will definitely leave you simply drifting downstream with the mainstream of whatever the prince of the power of the air who is presently working in the sons of disobedience is doing in any given culture on a mass scale at any given time. And he's always doing something. 
Thirdly, what is at stake in how we hear the message of Jesus? Um, Again, this is too many um, uh, translation criticisms in one message, but it's it, it's got it coming. Um, the uh, uh, with the measure that you use. See, he's actually repeated the same. Here's here's what he actually wrote: With the measure that you measure, it will be measured to you. So measure, measure, measure. I mean, they're just stacked on top of each other, uh, and that's on purpose. Uh, With the measure that you measure, it will be measured to you. What does that mean? With the measure of the importance that you take listening, it will be measured to you. Listen carefully. Listen seriously, and you will gain the benefits of listening carefully and seriously. Listen carelessly, listen loosely, and then listen to what happens. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he has has been taken away. Come on all the time, right? It happens all the time. So it's got statistics on it. They're getting worse and worse and worse. So young people raised in evangelical homes, what happens when they go to college? They adopt a completely different worldview. Well, how does that happen to them? It tends to happen this way. They were never really listening carefully. They're just kind of riding on the faith commitments of their parents. Their parents go to church, so they go to church. Parents sing hymns, they they sing hymns. Parents read the Bible, they might read the Bible. Not much, but they might. And then all of a sudden, they're away from all of that. And there's a message coming at them from every conceivable angle with power and authority. And they start listening to it. And what happens? That little bit of attachment to Christianity that they watch at, it just vanishes in the sand. It's gone. It's as if it was never there. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. Many, 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 many of us in this room, we know this phenomenon by bitter personal experience. That's what he's talking about. Watch how you hear. As to the measure of your hearing... It will be measured to you. It will be measured to you. Um, again, those are both divine passives, as I've said before. It'll be made, it'll be given to you. It'll be taken away from you. Theological passives in both cases. God is doing it. God is behind it. Listen carefully. God will bless it. 
listen carelessly, God will judge it. Watch how you hear. Watch how you hear. The one who has more will be given. The one who does not have, even that which he has will be taken away. More will be given. 30, 60, 100 fold as we saw in the parable of the sower. Listen carefully. Benefits go on. They deepen. They increase. You persevere. You last. The university makes you more committed to Jesus than you were before you started. You take your stand in such a place. But listen carelessly. And the next thing you know, you're drifting downstream. So at the Lord's table, we, uh, we always read this, this passage. And I'll read it just before I even move to the table. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats of the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine themselves. So what are they examining themselves for? Well, really, simply for new birth. So if if you're a born-again Christian, then the table is for you. But you want to really know whether you're a born-again Christian or not. How do you know that? Well, whether or not, really in our text, you'd say whether or not you have ears to hear. You know, in the New Covenant language, this is the New Covenant in my blood. And the background for that statement is a combination of Jeremiah 31, 33, and uh, Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, which talks about, and I write my law on your heart. Put a new spirit within you. All of that is boiled down in our text for this morning into ears to hear. Ears to hear. Do you have ears to hear? Are the words of Jesus the controlling words of your life? Do you want them to be the controlling words of your life? Do you pray and long for them to be the controlling words of your life? Are you, on the other hand, profoundly disappointed that they don't control you nearly as much as you would wish? And that you often feel embarrassed as you come to the Lord's table that another month has gone by. And I was careless again in this way and in this way and in this way. And I feel very unworthy to approach the Lord's table given those things. The table's for you, still for you. You have ears to hear. Ears to hear. 
ears to hear. But if you say, well, all this ears to hear stuff, I don't. But then the second thing that the table gives us the opportunity, given who we are, then are we going to take what Jesus says to heart? Watch how you hear. Measure out your hearing. Be sure that you are a serious hearer of what the Lord Jesus Christ says to you, what he says to the churches, what he says, period. That it will be the controlling, measuring influence of your life. The men would come, we'll share communion, serve communion, we'll... Let me reread the first part of Paul's word on this. For I received from the Lord that which I have also given to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And having given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body given in behalf of you. Do this in remembrance of me. Men would stand, we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon the broken body. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you did not spare your own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will you not also with him freely give us all things, things like ears to hear, things like a heart that desires to grow in the grace and knowledge of your Son? Lord, give us those things as we remember your grace through the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ and remember what you have done in Jesus' name and in Christ.